You know, Stephen, hey, this song is fitting for us. I love this song. Love this. You are a pilot. That's yeah. actually how we met. Yes. Believe it or not. You were at another conference and came up to me. You you read Flying Magazine. Yes. You're a pilot. And uh, that's actually what we have in common. Yes. I love Flying Magazine. Congratulations. I appreciate it. I hope we can talk about that later. Yeah. Look, it's... um. Aviation is a hobby of mine. Uh, I absolutely just love being a pilot. Top Gun was an inspiration. I love Top Gun. It's my favorite movie. It's uh, it's fun. Um, we're not here to talk about aviation or Top Gun. <laughs> yes. Uh, which would be actually maybe fun, more fun than some of this uh, stuff. But let's let's get into talking about Clarendon Capital because uh, you guys are a private equity fund that talk, focuses on logistics and transportation assets. Um your asset size of, or transaction size of what you typically invest in, what is the range of the... Of- so we look at businesses, and again, thanks for having me. First, I want to say, start off, congratulations. It's been a very good show. Team's been phenomenal. It's great to be here. Uh, as you know, we all know, I love transportation, love logistics. It's an essential business, an essential service. Um, so at Clarity Capital, we want to service and be a partner with those businesses. So we look at businesses between five to 30 million of EBITDA, where we think we can add value, be that value add partner with the owner uh, to help accelerate the value creation in various ways through strategy, through finance enhancement, through inorganic growth via acquisition, putting all that together on the table to expand the pie and really be, and be a true partner. As most of your transactions, existing businesses, yes. where they have it, this is, you're the first check in, yes. or is that typically the way you sort of think of it? Yeah. So we're traditionally first institutional money in to a family owned business, um, help with a succession plan or a founder that wants to move on, do something else. And we can back a strong management team that's already in place uh, to help, again, accelerate that, accelerate that growth and really drive revenue growth, customer acquisition, new strategies uh, to, you know, all partner together and do well. Now you're invested in EBITDA positive businesses. Yes. So you're looking for businesses that are generating positive cash flow. That's an important criteria. Private equity gets a bad rep. Do we? Um, I mean, <laughs> let's just be frank. Private <laughs> equity funds have had, have had bad, at times. Yeah, bad, there are. There have been some bad actors. Um, why, why would a founder consider taking you know, doing a transaction with you guys or generally private equity? Yeah. So I think in general, private equity has historically or previously had a bad rap um, from the days of old where you would, you know, add a lot of debt to an organization, you know, they would pull cash out, not be very supportive of the company. And when things went sour, kind of, you know, hand the keys, walk away. I think that the generation of private equity that we're in now and specifically at Clarendon Capital, um, we want to be, a, we're a true partner with you. So when we, when we, when we invest with a company, invest with a partner, um, first of all, we don't over lever. We keep our, you know, we, we keep our debt, you know, at a, a very manageable level cash is king. Um, and we want to ensure that we're growing the business together. We have mutually aligned goals of growth. We're not looking to, you know, chase an owner out, chase a founder out. We want to grow together and put a part, put a partnership plan in place, um, to again, accelerate that value creation. Are you doing asset and non-asset deals? We do. And we do, we do asset, non-asset. We do majority, we do minority investment. Um, we can scale into an opportunity. We can put in equity roles and earnouts in place again to really maximize that that value for both parties. Now, Freeways has covered a lot of the um, stories for companies, particularly in the asset side. But there's been you know, you can go back to 2019. Talked to this over the last couple of days. Bankruptcies and a, a number of those companies that filed bankruptcy were actually private equity funded. Okay, so there's a level of you know, a lot of caution as a, as someone who covers this space to sort of look at it. Why, why is Clarendon feel like in terms of avoiding those 
sort of negative outcomes. I mean, private equity's track record in some asset base, two of these roll-ups that they've tried to attempt, sure. just haven't been very successful. Why Why do you feel like you guys have, can win versus some of these others? Yeah, so I think what separates Clarion in part from other private equity investors is our firm only focuses on transportation logistics and everyone at the firm has a background in the industry so, and we have a passion for the industry, passion for transportation logistics. Our founders, uh, Mark Fornicero and Mike Rowe, we have a very long history in the space, have, have done multiple, have built multiple companies together. Um, and so how we kind of differentiate ourselves from other private equity firms or financial sponsors in the space is that our focus, our passion, everything we do is dedicated to transportation logistics. While other, other investors, you know, still, other good competitors out there, but they may do various other things. They may invest in healthcare, manufacturing. They may look at the like the enterprise value of organization, but we focus on the actual industry itself. So the very narrow focus gives you guys an edge because you understand the dynamics of transportation. Correct. Um, versus these, a lot of, to your point, a lot of the bankruptcies that we've covered or companies that suddenly shut down private equity are often I think they're tourists. Yes. You know, they get really enamored with the hype cycles of my 2018 or Absolutely. 2014 or 2021. Absolutely. Sort of pile on because they think, oh, trucking's a debt. Cost of capital is very low. Absolutely. Now cost of capital has increased. Absolutely. They just shut up the doors. So like, that's, I think that's certainly encouraging. Where do you think, you know, one of the things that I've observed is a lot of the asset-based operators in the space are really subjected to the market. Uh, are you guys investing in niche parts of the asset stream or are you actually looking at traditional truckload van operators? Yeah, so I would say from the asset side, we're certainly looking at niche op niche operations. So if there's a cold chain solution, bulk tank, liquid tanker, things that are kind of you know refrigerated, uh, you know, we think are real opportunities where you can provide a unique solution to our shippers, to our shipping customers for shipping. Um, suppliers and i think that you know the dry van although obviously commodity it's <laughs> you know commodity it's a commodity mm -hmm. but there's still look it's there's still it's still a very large business it's commoditized there's an opportunity um with the right operators um use of you know you're getting a lot of the capex being careful on how you treat your capex um and asset utilization there is still an opportunity to build very very well run highly profitable businesses with property and then, of course, the non-asset side has been a very attractive. Love the non-asset side. The return on assets, return on capital is quite, quite attractive for these for yeah. investors. And the track record, frankly, for logistics operators, private equity investing in logistics operators is actually quite good. Very good. Because the risk profile is quite different. It's an interesting market. I'm going to ask right now, you know, cost of capital is, we're in a whole new uh, monetary regime. Uh-huh. Cost of capital is completely different, different than it was perhaps in, you know, at least 15 years. How are you guys sort of approaching the market right now in terms of valuations, thinking about sort of transactions? How, how are you, what do you think about the current? Yeah, so there, we, we have seen, so market forces have unfortunately dictated, put some sellers on the sidelines, just as we had a tremendous market tailwind in 21 and 22, as I think we saw in the market update, and we all know here, um, rates of, we think, have bottomed where there's some data like you know i think we're at the bottom as you saw come on truckload rates truckload rates yep so we're approaching the market as if we're at a bottom near or at the bottom we don't know how long we'll be at the bottom but it's an opportunity to make some investments now with proper partners um for the long run so when the, it's very cyclical as you know so you know when you look at data like the outbound tenant rejection rate that you all have at sonar we're starting to see an uptick in that now obviously very different from where it was a year and a half ago 
but starting to see some green shoots where, you know, we could, when we approach partners, potential sellers about an opportunity, you know, to work with Clarity and Capital, we can put a plan in place where we say, well, here's where we're at in the market now, looking back to, you know, pre-COVID, for example, kind of what were you doing then? How would we look at, you know, a kind of a compound annual growth rate to get us to where we are now? And then let's put a let's put a good market valuation on where we think we, you would sit outside of like the market the market tailwinds we had from COVID. Structure a deal that also entails some equity rollovers, some some earnout options that could really increase your your enhanced return. Now, when we think about the cycle rates, are potentially we've talked about this. We have the case that contract rates compressing, you know, that spread starts to narrow. Yes. that's actually a part of the market where the non asset carriers are more exposed than the asset book. Yes. Are you are you prioritizing your investment thesis to look at those asset folks that are on the front end of the cycle? Uh, or are you right now agnostic to what kinds of deals you look at? Yeah, so I think we're not we're agnostic. We'll look at we want to we're we're open to all ty- deal types, asset versus non-asset. Now now they each carry a different kind of lens that we look at. So the, on the on the asset side What's the capex replacement? What does that look like to, to continue to grow the asset? What is the, and and as you grow the asset base, what how does that affect cash flow? Well, on that asset, non-asset side, as you know, you know, the levers are different. It's more people. Yeah, you know, things is kind of a little easier to control, easier to scale. Um, so the valuation lens looks a little different. Stephen, I'm a founder, um, and quite proud to be a founder. Congratulations, running freight oh, waves and all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah. sometimes. Sometimes I have successes, sometimes I don't. I don't miss the drive. I certainly don't miss the, the you know, I'm sort of a glutton for punishment just in the earlier days. All founders I actually find as businesses get more successful, they get they get less interesting in okay. some ways. Okay. Pat talked about this, about how founders were just really broken yeah. in some way. Um, but I always think about we have institutional capital and Freightways is raised mostly venture capital, we have okay. some growth equity. You have great investors. Absolutely. But I think about the inevitable sort of end of my business, okay. if you will, or not end of my business, but end of my journey. Your involvement in the business. At least as it relates to recapitalization and a different board construct. Okay. Perhaps it's a recap or it's now a, you know, a majority owner buys out all the money. You know, we have nine, 11 institutional investors, but, but sort of nine that are highly concentrated. Okay. I, I got to admit as a founder, that's a really frightening thought to have someone else that has more control of my business than I do. Mm. I imagine for a lot of these bootstrap founders where you guys are the first institutional check-in, that's even more frightening. How do you convince a founder that doesn't want to exit the business? Because I have zero reason, I have zero desire to walk away. Yep. How do you convince them that taking capital and all of a sudden having, I wouldn't say a boss, yep. a partner, partner, but you guys do have control. Yes. How do you convince them that's okay? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd love to hear your perspective as well, since you have taken some capital. Um, but from our perspective, we view it as we, you know, we are in the business of investing in partners, investing in businesses, and helping grow that business. So we don't, we're not looking to take over the business. We're not looking, you know, we're in the business of supporting you to help grow. So we want to approach this as, you know, a long-term relationship that we want to build together. So when I send you an email or hit or meet you at a conference you know, for the first or second time, we, I, my goal is to develop that relationship, that trust that, you know, that we're going to be a partner with you around the table that we, so when we, when we are sitting around talking about a deal, our goals are mutually aligned to achieve the growth that we want to achieve. So you're buying majority 
chair of this? We team? do both. We do majority and and minority. I think minority is a lot less intimidating for from early first time in, first time first time, it, first time it's, transact. It's much more digestible. It's easier to think because, as you know, like a lot of people's invest as founders, their identity is tied absolutely to the business. I mean, I think you've seen it. Like you know it personally. So it's it is it's hard for someone to you know kind of give up their baby. Like this is it. I built this thing. You know, it's hard for someone to 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 relinquish that control when you've had it for this entire time and built it to the business. Especially, I think, you know, my father has been in his business. Uh, they've got a big transaction that's that's about to happen. He's leaving, he's leaving the company. He's been at 37 years. It's it's in some ways torture for him because his identity is tied up in his business. Yeah. And for me, it's a little different because I, you know, I funded my business with outside investors. Okay. I know the journey. Like, there is no doubt that there is going to become a time where we have a transaction where we cap the business. And so you know that's going to get there. But I, I knew that those were the rules going into it. Yep. As, a, as, a, as a founder, on a father's perspective, where, where essentially his vision was quite different than mine, where he thought that he would, you know, this would be a business that he would be in involved the rest of his life. Yep. Multiple generations. And it's quite different, I think. Um, it's, it is interesting to sort of think about the psychology of founders. We're, like I, I said, we're sort of broken in some ways. Yes. But I, I would say you asked, what is it like having outside investors? Uh, you know, it's interesting because we, I bought Flying Magazine, which you, you and I have talked yes. about. Yes. Congratulations. You're doing great. It's um, when I, I didn't need to have outside investors, but I actually wanted that. And I'll tell you why. I need, because we're founders and we're somewhat opportunistic sure. and then overly bullish, overly confident at times. I wanted those guardrails. Yep. I wanted a level of governance to keep me from Absolutely. doing stupid things. Absolutely. That's why I married my wife. <laughs> and that's why I have taken in an outside investor. Not because I needed the money. Yep. They have 16% of, the, of flying, so a very small majority, a very small investment. Yep. But I just wanted them to remind me and help just rein me in a bit so that my worst tendencies would not become reality, that the risks that I'm comfortable taking. Yes. I think... There's a lot of power in that for the right investors. I will say, like, we've taken an investment. Taking in institutional money is in, is actually great. And I think it's superior, frankly, than taking in, you know, friends and family money in some ways because you actually have rational, solid investors, particularly if you know the space. Like you got, Absolutely. You have rational investors that, that are carry, that actually care about building the value of the business. Absolutely. Versus the emotion. Absolutely. I tell people... Be, the benefits of being a platform company with a partner that's truly focused with on the future line goals and value creation, it it the, the impact is almost beyond words. It's really it's it's truly redefining. Yeah, it is. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a, a, a lot longer to talk. So this has been a great conversation. Great. Thank you. How can folks reach out to you? Yeah, Clarendon Capital. Please visit us online. You can call me or send me an email. LinkedIn. Please reach out. Always happy to talk to anyone. It's great people in this space. You are wonderful. Hope to talk to each and every one of you before I get out of here. Appreciate it, Stephen. Thank Thanks you so much.